What's up, Gravel family? I'm Sophia. And I'm Jason. And this is the Gravel Family Podcast. The Gravel Family Podcast is an encouraging space to motivate more people to get on their bikes and enjoy gravel. We're going to share a variety of stories from hometown pirates to the top tier pros. We're also going to share training tips and insights on gravel worlds and other events, as well as answer your questions that arise through your training season. We are so excited you're here. Welcome to the Gravel Family. What's up, Gravel family? I'm Sophia. I'm Jason. And that was a little bit in reverse, but we just wanted to announce that (laughs) registration is open for both Winter Endurance and Garmin Gravel World. So head over to gravel-worlds.com and get signed up. Get signed up. The first thousand people that sign up total between the Winter Endurance and Gravel Worlds, we have thousands of dollars worth of Garmin products we're going to raffle off. Do you get a double entry if you sign up for both Winter Endurance and Gravel World? If you sign up for both, you get two chances to win. So get signed up. Uh, Gravel-Worlds.com has links for Winter Endurance, which is on February 17th, and Garmin Gravel Worlds 2024, uh, which is August 23rd and 24th. Get signed up. We want you here. Greatest Gravel Family Reunion this side of the Mississippi. Let's do the dang thing. We got another one of our gauntlet episodes over a weekend that we're doing. So behind the scenes, we're actually recording nine podcasts this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and we got another awesome uh, episode coming up here. And uh, this episode is kind of unique because we were supposed to do this in at Mid-South back in March. But yeah. uh, the guests got sick. So we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about that and... Uh, uh, that that was who was who was it that hopped in logan yeah it was logan wilkins yeah, yeah logan wilkins hopped in like like with 20 10, minutes yeah like 20 minutes is fair so if you go back to the logan episode and you see how uh chaotic that episode is it's because we had 20 minutes to prepare um but really excited to have uh this next guest on so uh world champion in u23 rowing like, well, that's an interesting start to I'm excited act like. to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, top 10 at Unbound. He's uh, second place overall in the B- BWR Triple Crown in 2021. Uh, fourth at SBT 2022. Uh, also fifth. Uh, so he was on the podium at uh, Gravel Worlds 2023 this year, uh, the mud year. And he got third at Nationals as well, which yep. sent him, got his ticket uh, to the UCI Gravel World Championships uh, over in Europe. So welcome to the podcast, Brennan Wirtz. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, you're definitely a dimensional athlete between your rowing and your cycling, um, and then also just different disciplines of uh, in cycling. So which discipline do you enjoy the most? I would definitely say gravel cycling. I think that's what I first came into the, you know, into this scene in the last couple of years. This is what I, what kind of really sparked an interest in me and what drew me into this off-road racing scene. And, um, this year I've done the lifetime grand prix and have dabbled a little bit in mountain biking and that's been super cool. But for me, I think at the, the core of it, gravel racing, is what I love the most. I love the adventurous elements of it. I love the training for it. Um, you know, going out and doing these long six, seven, eight hour rides, it's kind of a dream. So, um, yeah, I think for me, the gravel racing and, and everything about it is really what, what has drawn me in and what's stuck with me is my favorite throughout the last couple of years. How, how did you get into the cycling scene? Kind of the traditional, story of another you know an athlete from another sport another discipline coming into to cycling i had uh i was that summer when we won worlds in 2018 i was 
training a ton and traveling all over the world racing with the rowing national team and had some really, really painful injuries. Basically, my ribs were stress fracturing and the muscles in between were all separating. And so I had left and right, front and back, both kind of all around my rib cage, a lot, a lot of pain, like just excruciating. Couldn't sneeze, couldn't cough, couldn't laugh. Um, and so I was able to just barely get through, uh, a world cup and then worlds. But then after that, I knew I needed to take some time off. And so I took some time off and, um, basically just picked up my dad's old Klein road bike that was sitting in the garage and started riding it around. And I remember I went out on a couple of rides with no plan, no map, no food and completely bonked and didn't, (laughs) didn't think I was going to be able to make it back home, but found a little store on the side of the road and was able to get some food in me and limp all the way back to, to my house. And yeah, from, from there, it just kind of, it all started to click and really just fell in love super quickly with everything about, you know, the racing, the group rides, the community started working in a bike shop. And, you know, for me, I had been doing a lot of intellectual work at, in school and it was kind of, this was right around the end of my, my time in school. And, uh, I studied German studies and sociology and, you know, very much deep in the humanities and lots of reading and writing. And so for me to spend that time working with my hands in a bike shop, cause I was working as a mechanic, it was also really fascinating to learn how the bikes came together and how the equipment worked. And, um, so I, I felt that I was really thrown into the deep end and just loved it. Like loved learning about the bikes, loved learning about the training and the racing and the tactics and the bike handling and just kind of, yeah, really just dove into it and really haven't looked back since then. How much of the, like, obviously the fitness is a huge benefit to jump into the cycling. You obviously were an athlete, which translates, but how much did the actual, like where your fitness was as a rower, how did that it seems like such a different sport because you think of rowing. I know you use your legs for rowing, but it's very upper body. Um, how did that translate into your transition to like an elite level cyclist? Yeah, I think the biggest, especially now with gravel, the biggest difference was the style of racing that I was doing on the bike was very much, you know, six to 10 hour races. Whereas with rowing, it was always five and a half minutes or even less in the eight man boats. So it's basically this crazy VO two effort where you're sprinting, but you're sprinting for five, five and a half minutes. Um, so it's definitely different, a different style of training, but I do think sort of the, just the work ethic and the ability to suffer that, that really has, has carried me. And that's been, that's been key because the rowing training is, is grueling. And I think, what I, what I really like about cycling is that the act of cycling is inherently super enjoyable. Like just going out and yeah. riding a bike is very pleasant. And I think rowing can, can have that as well, but it's, it's not something that I look back and I think like the actual act of rowing isn't necessarily like an inherently pleasant or enjoyable experience. Like the reasons that you do it aren't necessarily because the motion of rowing the boat is so pleasant. It's more that it's, you know, there's camaraderie, you're going super fast, you're pushing yourself, it's really intense racing, like there's all sorts of amazing, uh, amazing things about the sport that I that I do miss. But I think the the act of cycling just in and of itself is a little bit more enjoyable. Um, 
and so that's that's kind of been been something that's been fun to discover Let, and makes training that much more fun too let's rewind a little bit to your world champion um or world championship in rowing what was that experience like i mean it was it was definitely rough like it was a i would say it was a testament to how strong our team was but we had uh actually yeah i was super injured and then myself and one other teammate we got food poisoning the night before the race or the oh, yeah, two nights before the race so we were we were really again. suffering yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um, it was it was pretty rough but we had worked so hard in the build-up to that we had spent about two months training in seattle and it was full-on super professional training camp i mean we had no distractions we were training two to three times a day um and it was really really intense but we made it was an it was basically an olympic development program for tokyo so it was they had the national wow. team had put a lot of funding into it and it was really uh really a dialed program so we had some really top athletes and it was a pleasure to be a part of it because it was you really felt like wow this is this is impressive but the the world championships themselves were definitely a tough a tough time for me just because i had this injury going into it that was that i was really struggling with and then on top of that got sick um but fortunately we were strong enough and we'd done enough training that even with those those setbacks we were able to come together and still pull it off and <clears throat> i think we we set a world best time in the process i mean we had pretty favorable conditions but I believe the time still stands today. So it was, it was definitely wow. a, a super dialed team and it was fun to be a part of that and that just means... experience the the level. Uh, so on the rowing side, are they, uh, are all the Olympics type type events that short, like five to six minutes, or is there like an equivalent to a six hour thing like that you would get at a gravel? Is that, or is that like a There's... whole almost different sport? It's definitely a different sport. There's all the Olympic rowing is, uh, and I think there might actually be a change. I'd have to check on this. There might be this like coastal rowing that's more open water. I think that might be coming into the Olympics in uh, in either Paris or LA. But yeah, up until this point, it's been the the events that are in the Olympics are 2,000, 2000 meters long. And so it's about in an eight-man boat maybe 515, oh, wow. 520. Um, and then in some of the, like in the single, maybe six and a half, seven minutes. So it's kind of a range between like five and seven minutes, depending on the boat class. Cause the different boats have different speeds, but would that be fall... like equivalent? Oh, sorry. I was gonna say there's just, there's fall racing. That's 5k. So it's a bit longer and it's more of a time trial format where you're racing one after another down a river and you're racing against the clock. Um, but all the racing, all the, the big races in the spring and summer leading up to the Olympics and world championships are all going to be 2000 meters, six boats across, and it, you have to find a body of water that allows you to have six lanes and then 2000 meters perfectly straight. So, um, you just can't really wow. find many bodies of water where you could go longer than that. Like it's hard to have a long straight shot that's wide enough and has even enough water where you don't have like current that's affecting the, the fairness of the lanes. Um, so, longer so where was meters. the championships then? That year it was in Poland, in Poznan, Poland. And it was a super okay. cool venue because it was actually 
um, the body of water was man-made. So it was built into the center of the city. So it was this oh, wow. concrete basin and it had a uh, grandstand around it at the finish and super cool Eastern European architecture built into the center of the city. So that was really cool and unique. And then a few weeks before we had raced in Lucerne in Switzerland in this incredibly idyllic lake nestled in the Alps in Switzerland. So we had two very different experiences, two different bodies of water. And it was super cool to get to see that and see how, you know, different countries have different setups and, um, yeah, kind of like gravel racing where you just get to see different, different bodies of water, different conditions. Some have current, some are, you know, sometimes you're in a, in a lake, sometimes you're in a river, sometimes it's man-made. Is there there an equivalent conversation among rowers to tire types uh, among gravel cyclists? Not really. It's, (laughs) I would say it's a bit, it's definitely old school, or at least a lot of the rowing that I was doing, it's definitely more old school in terms of equipment and technology. And there was more of a a narrative around just like, shut up and pull harder. Like (laughs) there's no reason for you to be thinking about the equipment. You know, we had, we had very, I mean, looking back now, we have very, very dialed support with effectively mechanics that were looking after the boat, but there are certain things like your gear ratio, you know, how long your oar is, how far the oar pivot point is away from the boat that kind of affects your leverage. And so you can have a, a heavier gear ratio or a lighter gear ratio. So there's, there's stuff like that, but we, the athletes never thought about it. It was all done behind the scenes. The trainers would all take care of it. The coaches and the, the, the mechanics would kind of make sure that all that stuff was running smooth and, we didn't really, we didn't really think much about it. It was more just, yeah, eat your, you, uh, you know, eat your pre-race meal and go as hard as you can. Yeah. Have you thought about uh, joining the the that boat crew that Ashton Lambie's on to get back on the water, but still do bike? <laughs> I actually, yeah, I did think about it. the The challenge for me was just I I still feel like I'm kind of new in the gravel scene and really enjoying it, and so I feel like I'm learning so much every year and building momentum and and just slowly starting to figure some things out and the scene is developing so rapidly around me that it's been really cool to be a part of it and it's just it's exciting you know I feel like we're at a really cool point right now and there's a lot to look forward to and so I think it's also really cool what what those guys are doing with the America's Cup I have a couple a couple teammates from my rowing days that are a part of it. Um, I also, you know, I know Ashton and and John Croom and some other cyclists that are part of it. So it's definitely interesting to see my two worlds sort of colliding in there. Um, And for someone my size, I mean, it's definitely, they're looking for raw power. They're not interested in power to weight ratio per se. So they actually, I think from what I've heard, they want you to be heavier. So um, interesting on paper, it's, it's definitely, it's a pretty good setup for someone like, like myself, but right now I'm just loving the gravel racing and, um, want to kind of see that through. And I still feel that I have, I have a lot more to give in the, in the sport and a lot that I still want to try to achieve and believe that I can achieve. So, um, Sweet. yeah, I want to give this a, give this a proper, a proper effort before I go and try to do something else. Well, even though you say you feel quite new, you've also accomplished a lot uh, in these last few years, including being in the Lifetime Grand Prix. Um, What were some of the highlights of these past few years in that? Yeah, I think 
I think just the learning that I've been able to do and the being able to experience firsthand the increase in, in skill level and talent and speed and just watching and, and feeling the level rise around me has been super cool and trying to keep up with that, that increase and then surpass it is it's been a real challenge, but it's been super exciting. And to get to see, you know, when I first started racing gravel in, in 2021, I mean, gravel had definitely been around for quite some time at that point, but back then, I mean, even back then it was a totally different sport than it is now. And now to go and race at something like world championships and be lining up with guys that I'd been watching only on TV for, for years and years and years. And like I was in a chase group with, it was just Wout and I, and we're chasing back through the, through these groups I'm on his wheel. I'm like, Holy cow. I cannot believe this. You know, like I'm here he is with his Red Bull helmet, like right in front of me. And you know, this is someone you've only ever seen on TV. And then all of a sudden you see him in a race and you really get a sense for how strong he is. And you're like, damn, you know, this is, this is pretty cool. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Um, that, you know, from three years ago, I would never have thought that I'd be racing at world championships against someone like, wow. And, you know, I'd had a rough day. He had punctured at least once or twice. So we were definitely not at the front of the race, but you still, you're riding with someone like that. This is cool. You know, this is, was there any, was, cause I, I've, I've talked with other athletes and sometimes if like the pace is slow, there's conversation going on from time to time. And then there's like a head down moment kind of in the race. Was there any of those moments at uh, UCI world championships that you're like uh, getting to talk to like a wow or something in the Peloton or was it pretty much pedal down? Not not really. It was, it was pretty much full speed from, I mean, from literally the first pedal stroke and we started because a lot of our races in the, in the U S are not in the UCI series and they're not governed by the UCI. A lot of us, Americans didn't have UCI points, so they staged us all based on point standings. And so because we didn't have uh-huh. points, we were many of us were kind of at the very back of the group. So I think I was start number 188 out of 230. So oh, we definitely had our work cut out for us and had to try to do everything we could to move up. But the roads there were so twisty and narrow that there really weren't a whole lot of opportunities early on to move up. So there definitely wasn't <clears throat> wasn't much conversation. I mean, it was pure chaos. I don't know if you've seen Did they even... Payson's oh, yeah. video, but that's uh that's definitely like what the, it was like. <laughs> the hairpin turn where everyone was cutting through the grass. Is that the one you're? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a I think six or seven minute video on YouTube that's it just sort of focuses on that first part of the race and it's pure chaos. But it was just like that. I mean, pretty much all day long, like even, even later on when the groups had split up, um, the roads are so narrow that if you're in a group of 10 or eight eight guys, it's still pretty, pretty chaotic in some of these twisty sections. So how did, how did that start compared to like something like big sugar, which is pretty notorious for having a massively chaotic start with, uh, like within the first mile, I think has a gnarly 16% downhill with big chunky rocks and stuff. Like there's obviously great talent at big sugar, uh, especially this year with the, the end of the grand prix, like what, what's the comparison there to, to, to those two? I would say it was, it was similar to big sugar, just 
at, you know, multiply the field size by four or five and then oh take the road width and decrease it in, in half or, you know, oh my gosh. even less like narrow roads and way more people. And, and also people that you can tell have just grown up racing kermesses in Belgium and, you know, these, these types of races that are where the roads are always narrow. You're basically racing on like a bike path or, you know, narrow cobbled roads with a similar size field and you have to do everything to move up and, or, you know, guys that come from a cyclocross background and are just taking these lines that are insane and cutting corners and, you know, it was all fair game over there. And so it was, it was cool to witness and cool to experience, but it was definitely another level. Like just the, I think, you know, if you took the, the top guys and you broke it down to 30 and you, you brought that over to the, you know, to something like big sugar, maybe it would be, it would be fairly similar, but I think the, the biggest challenge was just, there were so many guys and there were so many fast guys that there wasn't really much room for error and the roads were so narrow that at a certain point, there's only so much you can do. You, you definitely, I'm hearing you've had a lot of really cool moments in these first few years of racing. What have been some other pinch me moments that you've had that stick out? Honestly, just the, often the experience of getting to travel to so many of these places. I think that's been a real privilege for me to be able to see so much of the U S that I otherwise would never have had the opportunity to, to experience. And I remember like, even when I, when I came out to Lincoln, I, I pulled in in the evening and went for a sunset spin and it was just so beautiful with the white, the white roads and the dust and, you know, the trucks would go by and then you'd have this sort of like sunset colors and the dust filling the sun sunset. And you just have all those moments. Like, you know, I've been fortunate to spend a lot of time in the mountains training this year and last year doing elevation training. And, um, I remember I went and rode in, Glacier National Park after doing Jess Sarah and Sam Boardman's event, the last best ride. And, you know, just these experiences where you get to see all these super cool places and you get to meet really amazing people along the way. And yeah, maybe it sounds a little bit cliche, but I think just that, that journey of getting to travel around and have all these cool experiences has been super memorable. And then what about on the flip side of it? Like, what do you still have on your bucket list, that, at least in the next few years, that you want to go to or accomplish? I definitely, as I'm starting to look towards the next year, I think I'm, I'm condensing my schedule a little bit and trying to really focus on races that I think I have a chance at, at a really top result and that I really want to try to win. I would love to have... Uh, I mean, I think everyone would love to have a clean race at Unbound. I think everyone also knows that that's probably unrealistic, but some sort of race where I feel that I can show what I'm capable of on that on that course. Um, I've had I've had some pretty tough luck, like I think most people have at Unbound. So, would like to, yeah, do everything I can to try to set myself up to have the best possible day out there. Um, Steamboat is, is a race that I would really love to win. So that's, that's a race that I've targeted pretty, pretty heavily each year. And then also now with, with USAC getting involved, I think the national championship is, is something that I would also really like to go for. I always joke that I've had like regional championship wins. I've had world championship wins, but I've actually never, I've never won a national championship. And in rowing or in cycling, I've come 
second a couple times. I've been third this year at nationals for, for gravel, but I've never, I've never won one. So that's something that I would really love to do. That's awesome. A couple weeks after gravel worlds still in uh, Nebraska on the other side of the state, uh, USA cycling got into the gravel nationals. So first gravel uh, national championships for the USA. Uh, what was, what was your experience like out there on the uh, Western side of Nebraska? Well, it was dry, which I loved. Um, I was this was sort of an extended period of time this summer where I was traveling, and I I only had sort of my all road bike, um, which for races like Steamboat and and Gravel Nationals, and I and I also think Gravel Worlds, if it were dry, is an incredible setup. Um, the one downside is it doesn't have a ton of mud clearance, but I I sort of the races where I would ride that bike are also some of my favorite races where it's just super fast. And so I have these big gears on it and it's a really cool setup. And I felt like I showed up in, in, uh, in gearing and it was dry. It was super windy. The gravel was really deep. I mean, it it just felt like, man, this is a course that I'm going to have some fun on like this. This feels a little bit more of my speed after racing events that, I kind of struggled through like Crusher and Leadville and these ones that maybe don't suit me quite as well. I felt like, all right, now this is, this is my time. Um, and it's just fun. Like I love racing in the wind. It was crazy windy. We had insane crosswinds. There were some points where I thought, uh, guys were going to get just blown off the road into the gutter, sort of like all Philippe at Strada Bianca a few years ago when he just got completely wiped off the road by a gust of wind. Like, it, it had that same feel. So yeah, I just, I love that. Like racing in deep gravel in the echelons with a, a really stellar group of guys. It felt like, it felt like a real proper, uh, proper gravel race. So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was super cool. It was a beautiful area there with those buttes and the kind of the landscape out there was really nice. Um, it, it's kind of like out of world, out of the world looking out there. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's very unique. It, it's yeah. not quite Colorado. It's not like Utah. It's more Utah looking, yeah. I'd say, but like mm-hmm. still not, it's, you're still in like the, the plains, but it's, it's the bluffs. And the, all yeah. That. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like it was cool to see, USAC getting involved and I and I do feel like I had to tip my hat to them for the course. I mean it was I could see some some guys who are maybe more climber types being frustrated, but it was it was gravel pretty much the whole time and it was rough and at first looking at the profile you think, Oh, this doesn't look doesn't look too gnarly, but when you factored the wind and the depth of the gravel, I mean, we were just sinking so deep into it that you had to push so hard just to keep your speed that it really did feel like this is this is definitely a gravel race. Like it's not something you'd want to do on a road bike or on any other I, bike other than gravel. I think bike. I saw Ted King had posted something about he was like doing a flat road, and he's like, I'm pushing 400 watts to go like 12 miles an hour. Like it's yeah. like the gravel was so sandy and so deep. Uh, yeah. And just because it's the state of Nebraska and kind of everywhere is, was so hot this summer, especially Western Nebraska. It's like when our base is sand, our gravel is sandy. Like all that sand comes to the top when, when we haven't gotten any rain. So it, it looked brutal, brutal conditions out there. And, yeah. it, and it really was a great location for it. Cause I actually went to a wedding uh, back in October and there was someone attending the wedding that was from the area of gearing 
And he was like, hey, I know you ride bikes. Do you know what was happening back in like, <laughs> you know, uh, late September. August, early September? And I was like, oh, yeah, the Nationals. And he was like, that was so cool for them to pick a place in western Nebraska where no one would ever go to um, except for that event. And just like it, it really did a lot for the town. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was an awesome experience for everyone. Um. Well, let's rewind in history like two weeks before Gravel Nationals, which was Gravel Worlds. This was your first time at Gravel Worlds or second? First time. Yeah. First time. Um, and like you, you kind of hinted at it. You might have had the, the wrong bike choice. Uh, it wouldn't have been the wrong bike choice until like 3 a.m. when we got the freak thunderstorm and got three and a half inches of rain unforecasted. Uh, so what was what was your thought of prepping the course all week where it's dry, it's fast, it's all those things that you said you love, and then you wake up to probably thunder at 3, 4 in the morning, and it's a torrential downpour. What were your what was your thoughts at Gravel Worlds? Yeah, I mean, definitely a, a heart-sinking feeling when I woke up and and could hear the, the rain falling and the thunder and see the lightning out there. It was like, oh, man, this is now we're, we're signing on for a different, a different kind of day, I think. Um, yeah. And I, and I knew going into it that it was a bit of a gamble with that bike, but I, I've been riding that bike so much this summer. I took it with me to, to Italy earlier in the summer and did a, a long training camp in the Dolomites and, um, it's been such an awesome setup for traveling and the versatility of it. And so it just, it's been, it's been an awesome setup. And I, but I knew like the one kind of chink in its armor would be if there was substantial mud. So I just figured, well, we'll see how it goes. And, you know, it seemed like a lot of the stuff I'd pre-ridden was pretty sandy and rocky and wasn't going to clump up and turn into the peanut butter mud. But, uh, John Borstman did, did say to me early on in the race, he's like, watch out for, I can't remember the mile, mile number, but he, he gave me the two, the like the coordinates of those two sections, which was very, very nice of him. Um, and when he told me that, then I was like, oh man, like, I know John knows this area pretty well and he, he'll have done his homework. And if he's warning me of that, I, uh, I know he's not trying to play any sort of mental games. He's just, he's being a gentleman. And, uh, I really appreciated that, but I knew that, my time in that front group might be limited. Uh, so I just kind of went into it. I, I knew it could be crazy. I was going to do whatever I could to try to get through it. And unfortunately I, I came to a grinding halt. Oh, man. Is that ultimately where the, your break kind of ended was that first dirt road. I think it was my old, it was right before or right after checkpoint one, maybe the, yeah, I think it was maybe like 70 or 90 or something somewhere yeah. in that, that range. Yeah, I was in, I think there were four of us and had been pretty active in, in splitting that up and um, was feeling super good. And um, yeah, I was excited to be in such good company too. I mean, a lot of, it was a couple of guys that I know quite well and, and really respect and also big power guys like myself and was just looking forward to a long kind of breakaway effort with those guys and just grinding for hours on end. Um, but yeah, it wasn't to be, I, uh, I went into that first section first and tried to just carry as much speed through it as I could and get as clean of a line as I could try to ride in the grass a little bit, but I just started to hear the sound of the tires rubbing and then could feel like, all right, now I'm pushing 
350, 400, 450, you know, up to like 700 watts going slower oh and slower and slower. And you're like, all right, at some point, this just, this isn't going to work. Yeah. yeah. So the, I had to get off and run. I will tangent. Obviously, we love John Borselman. He's from Lincoln. He's won our event three times, tying Allison Tetrick for most wins. But like, I'm glad you said that uh, because there's been multiple athletes that have told me like how John was out there giving beta to people like, hey, like this is where it's going to be bad, like heads up. Um, and he's done that in previous years when uh, like with Colin Strickland, like he helped Col- like gave Colin beta when uh, his Wahoo died, you know, uh, for the finish and helped him out. So um, he's done that multiple times with Gravel Worlds. He's, he yes. could just take that local knowledge and, and not. So I'm glad you said that. That was kind of a class move to even mention it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think John John's someone I really enjoy racing with. And he's become a good friend throughout the, you know, the years of racing. And he's someone that I have just endless respect for. I love the way that he races. I mean, I think we have similar, similar desires and similar skill set where um, – we like to make the race hard. We like to go in the early move. We like to sometimes take a, a risky move. And I think it's, it's been really cool to see like a big sugar, what he was doing there was awesome. I mean, it was really yeah. cool to see him just coming into that and really going for it. And well, he actually uh, did I think the, another, he, another, he started and ended the season similar. Cause he did the same move at mid South too. Like he was pushing mm-hmm. the pace at mid South too. So yeah, he kind of ended and started the season, uh, with a similar move and it didn't pay off both times, but it was really, really close. Kind of like any breakaway at the tour de France. You're like the whole time you're like, is it going to work? Is it going to work? And then they get caught with a hundred yards to go and you're like, no, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, I think his like never die attitude is, is amazing. And, and it's, I have a lot of respect for, for him and how he approaches the races too. I mean, the amount of times I've had an issue or, been completely cracked and limping back to the finish line and he just comes rolling by like a freight train and you know we could be in position 20th or 30th or something like well out of the running and he's just going for it like there's no tomorrow and so I I just love racing with him he's always he's always a pleasure to race with and I think you know one of the actually one of the highlights of that whole gravel worlds weekend for me was the night before the race I was I made the decision to go out there kind of last minute. I just booked a random hotel over by the airport. Um, it was just kind of in my hotel room by myself, going to make some sort of like order takeout or just make some crappy dinner in my hotel room. And he's like, oh man, you should come over to my parents' house. We're having dinner. And he invited me over and I got to spend a super nice evening with his parents. And it was kind of all the guys that we were going to be racing the next day, but we're all just hanging out the night before having dinner together. His parents made this amazing meal and his parents are super sweet too. So it was cool to just get to know them and, and have that. Yeah. That family sort of feel going into the race. It just felt like, oh, all dude, right, this is, so this fun. is cool. That's what I so. you, like. That almost gives me goosebumps. Like of like, that's gravel, right? That's it almost is. the definition of, cause like that's, gravel all the way down to last place it's not yeah you're competing at your level and other people are competing maybe for an age group or maybe they're competing against themselves but like ultimately it's the community aspect first and man i'm so glad you said that and that you experienced that's, that I think that's gravel what I told him. He, he texted me he invited me and i think i responded something right away like i think this might just be the spirit of gravel like heck yeah i'm coming like <laughs> oh, let's, let's go to gravel world. like that's what we stand for oh my that's gosh so cool. that's that's really rad that's really cool um 
I don't think this will start gravel beef of any kind, but are there any other like athletes that, or other competitors that you really respect and love racing against? Um, Kiel Reinen definitely is someone who I have a lot of respect for and who's just uh, always been a really happy, friendly face in the expo and in a race. And I mean, I remember at, at Big Sugar, I was having kind of a rough day and we had a, a pretty tight run in with a car, an oncoming car, and it just sort of spooked a bunch of us. And um, I was kind of dangling off the back of the group for at a moment, and I was with Keo, and he just kind of like put his arm around me, you know, mid race, and we just sort of like almost just kind of hugged it out on the bike, ripping through these gravel roads, just like had a little moment together, and then I was like, all right, like kind of was able to reset, refocus, and he was super nice. He gave me a big push. He's like, go man, go just get back in there. Like, I think I'm out. I'm, I'm done. But he's like, you got to give this one more go. Like, come on. And gave me a big, a big push and a bunch of motivation to, to get back in there. So yeah, I mean, Keel's one that I, that I really, you know, it always just puts a big smile on my face whenever I see him, give him a big hug. Um, Alexi, Alexi Vermeulen, he's also someone who I have a lot of respect for and I think one of the highlights for me with the the UCR World Championships was just getting to know some of my American racing colleagues and friends better. Um, like Alexi and I, we ended up spending that whole week in Italy in a hotel room together. We were roommates, and it was just super fun to get to know him even better. I mean, we had a we had a good relationship for sure going into that, but it was just fun to get to you know eat our meals together, hang out together, and. Um, bring everyone together in, in sort of a national team context was, was super fun. That's awesome. But honestly, everyone, I mean, I think that's, what's so cool about this scene. Like, I think there's a high level of mutual respect and everyone knows the, the challenge of it all, the struggle of making it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year and navigating sponsorships and navigating the race series and, the whole season and going to altitude and just being on the road for so long. I think we're all in a very unique position, but we all understand what, you know, what one another is going through. So I, I really like that about our scene. There's this high level of mutual respect and everyone's kind of to a degree looking after each other. And, you know, if somebody needs a CO2 or a plug or a gel or something like I, I think most of the guys would would make an effort to help one another out. And I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Well, speaking of respect and having great relationships, it's not only great rela relationships within, you know, the athletes in the sport. You also have a great re relationship with your sponsors, such as Mosaic Cycles. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, Mosaic, working with Mosaic is super cool because I think it's, it's pretty unique. Um, I don't think, you know, in, in pro racing, not even in gravel, but just in general, you don't often see metal bikes. Um, and I just think that that's, that's really cool. And I think there's, there's multi, a multitude of reasons for why you don't see many of them kind of in the, the pro pelotons of the world. But I think the biggest reason is just because those brands don't, they're not big, massive brands that have these big marketing budgets to spend on, teams and athletes and, um, you know, these big marketing campaigns. So they're just, they're smaller companies. And so they don't necessarily invest at the same level as some of these bigger companies that just have more, more budget to, 
to invest. Um, but yeah, it came to be in 2021 was my first, my first time working with them. I was working at this really cool bike shop out in California called above category, uh, which is these guys on my hat. And they, it's a super unique shop. It's all very boutique, very custom. Um, the owner of the shop, Chad, he's a super passionate cyclist. He loves building bikes. He's got an incredible eye for bike builds and, and his attention to detail is really unlike anything else I've ever seen. Um, and so I was working there doing sales and marketing for them. And Mosaic was one of the, the, uh, I guess the, one of their top frame builders that they worked with. So we wanted to go out to unbound through envy. Uh, we kind of came up with this marketing project to go out and send uh, myself and one of my other friends from Mill Valley out to, to Kansas. And so we did, um, yeah, we did the race in 2021 and we wanted to build a special bike for it. So that was a mosaic. We kind of went crazy with it, did some really cool paint. And that was, that was for me, what got the, the ball rolling on gravel racing, but also getting a sense of their relationships inside the industry and how all that works. And, um, yeah, it was just a, a fascinating experience and fell in love with the bike. Really, really enjoyed riding and racing it and also getting to know the guys, um, the whole team, you know, the whole team behind Mosaic that, that actually put the bike together was a really, really cool process. That's awesome. I was actually, um, back in January of this year, I was in Boulder, just randomly kind of visiting, uh, bike companies and cycling related people out there. Um, and I wasn't planning on it, but, uh, I was meeting with Kristen Legan and she was like, Hey, I'm actually going over to Mosaic in Boulder. Uh, do you want to go get a tour? I was like, yeah, sure. That's great. Uh, so super impressed, tiny little shop, but they yeah. pump out a ton of bikes of like hand built, uh, titanium bikes. But then they took me over to the paint shop and they're like, oh yeah, we're working on these, these three matching bikes and they're all kind of orange, white, and blue. Uh, and they were, and it turned out they were your bikes and they're like, yeah, Brennan Wertz, he's, he's really coming up in gravel. And that's like why I asked you to be or invited you on the podcast last time and it was actually i was watching your bikes getting painted and yeah it's a mm -hmm. really cool little boutique shop and they they're kind of known obviously titanium bikes are titanium bikes but then their paint that they do on top is crazy crazy cool yeah but yeah i gotta see your bikes getting finished up it was pretty fun to see yeah it's cool. I mean, it's super cool for me to see that process from start to finish and be super involved in it and be able to sit down with, um, you know, with, with Mark and Aaron, the, the kind of the, the main, the two guys that I'm usually working with hand in hand to design like the geometry, but it, it actually goes deeper than the geometry with what we're doing. Like not only can you customize the geometry, but you can also customize the tube set. And, you know, I have different, bikes different frames with different kind of uh, gauge tube sets with you know bigger diameter tubes or smaller diameter tubes and that can really affect the ride quality of the bike so they had one my first ever mosaic they went out and found this extra oversized down tube and they used their largest size down tube as the top tube so i mean i whenever i grab that bike it's like this massive you know have these massive pipes basically to make this frame. I mean, the thing is crazy and, and I ride it and it's honestly one of the stiffest bikes I've ever ridden. And people mm. always say, Oh, titanium. I've heard it can be kind of like super nice and compliant, but maybe not the stiffest. And 
but it's it's honestly one of the one of the stiffest bikes I've ever ridden and so I I, I just want to say like no you should try this like ride this bike and it'll it'll completely change your your opinion of titanium so yeah I think I think the bikes are amazing they look super cool their paintwork's incredible but beyond that I think there's some there are some really key benefits to riding titanium in the gravel world I mean we crash there's rocks flying through the air all the time I mean I've been hit on my glasses or on my helmet or all over my frame with fist-sized rocks um so I know that I can crash the bike I can hit the bike with a rock I can throw it in my bike case and fly halfway around the world with it and I know that when I show up it'll be it'll be fine um one other cool thing about them is they kind of last forever like we were talking about what to do for next year and do I need any new bikes or are we going to do re repaints or what, you know, what our plans are. I'm looking at all these bikes and I'm just like, I don't really need anything, you know, like (laughs) we're going into a new season and I'm just like, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to, we don't need to do anything. Like sure. It'd be cool to repaint them. Sure. It'd be cool to have another bike or do this or do that. And like, but I don't actually need anything more. Like, that's and, cool. and I could see myself in five or 10 years saying the same thing. Like I, I have bikes that I could pass down to my grandkids and they could still be riding. Like these things will last yeah. forever. So it's, it's certainly an investment up front, like for the end consumer they're you know, they can be definitely pricey, but I think they're, they're competitively priced and for the racing that I'm doing and, and some, some of the adventure rides and, and the bike packing and all that stuff, I think it's a, it's a really cool option. That's awesome. Well, before we go, um, I um, would like to say, like, I, I really appreciate you as a person. Yeah, you seem to have a really good head on your shoulders, and I appreciate you coming out to Gravel Worlds this year. It'd be, um, we talk a lot about being a champion on and off the bike, and I think you would, if you ever, if I ever have the honor of giving you a sword and a jersey, uh, it would be an honor to have you have you do that here at Gravel Worlds. So. Um, thanks for the person you are first, and it's awesome that you're a great athlete. Um, but before we go, Sophia always has one last question. Yes. So, Brennan, what does the Gravel family mean to you? I think, yeah, I'll just say, I just we'll just use the example of John Borstelman and his family and having dinner the night before the race. I mean, I think for me, it's those kind of those moments having the the shared experience of we're all going through this together. We're all going to these races. It can be a bit overwhelming at times to be constantly traveling from place to place. And it's just all about taking those moments and enjoying them and being able to sit back and enjoy the journey and and share it with so many other cool people. And everyone's really always open-minded. And I've met so many amazing people through this racing and through traveling around to all these different events. And it's honestly just a, a privilege to be a part of this family and get to know so many cool people doing so many different cool things on two wheels. I love it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you um, for being for your time and getting up early this morning out there on the West Coast. Uh, appreciate you, and I can't wait till our paths cross again. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for all the kind words. Really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll see each other again uh, multiple points next year. I'm Sophia. I'm Jason. And I'm Brennan. And this has been another episode of the Gravel Family Podcast. We will see you next time. Gravel Family Podcast is a Pirate Cycling League production. Gravel Worlds and Pirate Cycling League are owned and operated by Gravel Adventures LLC, Lincoln, Nebraska. For more information on Gravel Family Podcast, visit www.gravelfamily.bike. 
For information on Gravel Worlds or Pirate Cycling League, go to www.gravel-worlds.com.